Welcome to the Score and I podcast, where we bring you the best Irish league discussion each week. To find out about future shows, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at the Score NI. Now it's time for this week's program. This is Carl the Jackal Frampton. Hi, this is David Healy. Hello, this is Stephen Ferris. Hi, I'm Bethany Ferris. Hi, this is Joey Barton. I'm Jonas Gutierrez. Hi, this is Harry Kuehl. And you're listening to the Score. Hello and welcome along to The Score on Lisburn's 98FM and Bangor FM with me, Michael Clark. I'm very pleased to say we have another special guest joining us on the programme this week and he's a man that knows all about lifting silverware in the Irish League. Now he's a first team coach with Lauren. Tim McCann, welcome to the programme. Michael, thank you very much. Very nice and relaxed here, Michael. I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, it um, is indeed. It's, it helps when the weather's decent as well. <laughs> now we've, we've, got, we've got the air conditioning on, the comfy chairs out, especially for you and everything. Um, what a career you've had, and we're going we're gonna to come on to Lauren, but um, take us right back to getting into football um, as a youngster. How did it all come about? Was it a sporting family? Um, well, my dad had played football when he was younger, and I was always kind of into football um, from from no age, from, from what I can remember. Um, I remember my, my earliest memory of being in a team would have been under 10s for a, a team called Artillery Football Club and um, played there for, for maybe a year, whatever I can remember. Um, probably the main part of, 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 of football started when I, when I joined uh, Newington Football Club. Um, I think it was about 13, it was under 14, and we won the, the Down and Connor Cup, I think it was back then. And I, 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 at one stage, Michael, I, I got probably a bit disgruntled with football when I was around 14, just 15, and I wasn't really doing anything. Uh, and I think I'd stopped playing football for about six months. And a friend of mine, uh, Colin Gervin, who was playing for Clevenville Youth Team at the time, had came to me and said, listen, um, Clevenville Youth Team are looking a, a forward. Would you be interested in coming along to, to training? So I said, well, well, why not? I wasn't, I wasn't really doing anything. So I went on the, trained on the Tuesday night, um, trained on the Thursday night, and played against Limfield on the Saturday, my first game. Scored two goals, and 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 that was really it. You know, joining Clevenville from that kind of young age, and and uh, right through to, I think I spent eleven years there. Then that's incredible. What was it that made you disgruntled? Were you just not? kind of happy with way, the way you were playing or the amount you were playing or was it just you're that age and your friends are doing different things what what sort of had you th- had your head turned a bit I think it was I was that age um, and my friends were doing different things and uh, I could football at that time I could probably take it or leave it which wasn't like me at that time because I, I was football in the brain um, and maybe a, you know potentially led astray by another friend um, we were we weren't really as I say we weren't really into football and or he wasn't in the football, so. Um, but thankfully, this all came about through, as I say, another friend who who just suggested going down, and I thought, you know, why not? And you know, it was even back then, it was, it was very professional at at Clevenville Then you know, you, you wore a shirt and a tie, and um, even under sixteen or youth football back then, it was great. You know, you had the Clevenville crest on the tie, and everything was done professionally. And um, there was a, a manager there called Artie McFarland, and. Um, he he was brilliant, and we we subsequently then ended up kind of breaking into the reserves and then into the first team, and um, it was great from there. So you get that sense when you join Cliftonville, even as part of the youth setup, that you're part of something. This is a there's a real club. There's a structure. No, definitely there was definitely a structure. Um, you know, uh, Jim Boyce and all were was there at that time. There was Desi Kirkwood and John McElroy and and these guys. You know, they all took a an interest. Uh, at, at the time I think Billy Sinclair was the manager at, at the time and they all took an interest in, in how the youth and, and the reserves were doing and if you were doing well you, you you would have been brought into the first team training and as I say I really liked the, the way it was done and I went and, and watched Clevenville as a youngster and and supported them um, and and even when we were playing for the for the youth team you, you would have went and watched the first team on a Saturday and, and probably never thought that you know, you'd ever go and play for them and as I say, it was it was Billy Sinclair that that, that gave me my chance. Um, I can't even remember who it was. Potentially, maybe it was against Ballyclare. I can't even remember my debut, but around nineteen ninety and ninety one. And as I say, got my 
got my debut and all I did back then was <laughs> probably did most of my career is just stick my head down, try and be the man and run by him and put a cross in the box because to be fair back then, Michael, there wasn't really the the coaching that the, the young kids and whatever get nowadays and you know, you just did what you were playing like you played in the street and, and that's the way that I always used to kind of play. So it obviously had to be in you then that getting the ball, get your head down and dribbling. Is, you, you make it sound easy. Lots of us wish we could do that and have tried and failed and many times at various different stages in our lives. Um, is that something that just came naturally to you? You just kind of at some point realised, oh, I can take people on. I, I'm, I'm good at this. I think because I, I was always fast, um, even in schools. I was, you know, winning, winning the 100-metre sprints or whatever. I, I was always very, very quick. And, and then when, when you go to as I say, playing even youth team or under 16s, you were running by people and you and you were, you thought, well, I can do this. I mean, I think when we first started playing, you are playing what's called an old inside right, you know, and then obviously, which is basically a right side of midfielder, but inside. And then obviously, all of a sudden, they moved out, out to the wing and uh, and that came sort of really early doors. Played a couple of times as a centre forward um, to try and use my pace over the top, but... When Billy Sinclair brought me into the team, he obviously seen me more as a winger, and I remember him saying to me, "Listen, son, I want to see you coming in at half time, and if you're not, you don't come in here with white chalk on your boots because he always wanted to be wide, then you'll be off." So he just wanted me staying wide, and you had players like Peter Murray, Tommy Breslin, just pinging balls to you out in the wing, and then at, at the, and then it was just up to you. They didn't make the game complicated for me. It was really just this is your job: get the ball, take players on and put balls into the box for the likes of Billy Drake, who was who was the centre-forward at that time. Sometimes we can overcomplicate football, and it's, it's nice to hear it discussed in those terms. You're a wide player, get wide, and by the way, we need to score goals, so if you could get the ball to the forward at some stage, job done. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes players uh, you know, can be given too much information. Um, sometimes players, and I don't mean this in a bad way, aren't the smartest in the world, and if you give them too much information... You know, while they're playing, they're thinking about everything. Where if you give them two or three instructions and keep it simple for their own position, then I, I think it works out better for them. What about the confidence side of it? Because I think everyone can relate to, even if we're just thinking about playing football down the park with your mates, you, you try to get past someone once or twice, it's not happening for you, and all of a sudden it affects the way you're playing. How do you have that confidence to, to keep going? Because it's not the same as getting the ball and just moving it on. There's there's a different responsibility there. Yeah, um, I, and I guess that when you're starting to, when you're starting to play in front of the crowds and, and bigger crowds, then you, you know it, 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 you, I enjoy that more. You know, the fact that there was a big crowd there, you know, even if you did lose the ball, you knew, and it was always told me, you only have to beat the fullback once. You know, if you take him on nine times out of ten, and, he, you know, he takes the ball off you nine times, but you get round him once and you put that cross in for the winning goal, you've done your job. Um, I would always try and count how many crosses I put in in each half uh, and try and maybe set myself standards or, or different things like that. But I thrived on, especially playing at Solitude, when you played sort of down the way into the cage and under the big stand, um, and having my parents and my, and my, my girlfriend, who's, who's my wife now, Alicia, um, were there, it, it, it was great. I just I just loved, loved playing in front of the crowds, and I, and I loved the excitement that, you know, if I was getting the ball and it was going to take people on, you could hear a kind of an expectation when you did receive the ball and you were one-on-one with someone. It was that thrill. I got more of a thrill of, of, of actually crossing the ball and putting, putting the ball into someone's head and them scoring than maybe scoring myself. There is nothing quite like that. That noise, that just little change in the decibels when something's about to happen. You know, when that that expectation, you can you can feel it. So it's interesting, even as a player, you're aware of that. Oh, I, and it, it would give you. You know, I'm getting goose pimples even thinking about it now. You know that because, as I said, you, you were dependent on other people feeding you the ball. So the fullback, as he does, is keeping one eye on his defence, but he's also trying to keep an eye on you. And I would just try and get. At five yards of space where I could leave myself in one on one, so he didn't know whether I was going to run in behind him, that I was going to beat him in a sprint anyway, whether Murray or Braslin were going to play the ball over the top, or else it was going to come short and just take him on. So it was it was fantastic in those days, you know, and you know, like the pitch wasn't wasn't great, but you loved playing on it. Um, you certainly people are saying, well, you'd love to play on that on that kind of surface now. You know, it's smooth. There's no bobbles, but you just get on with it back then. You know, whether it was a mucky surface or Whatever, you just get on with it. You see, 
I don't think of you as that old, but then you start saying you played football with Tommy Breslin, you played football with Eddie Patterson, going, hold on a minute here, what's going on? I know, it's crazy. <laughs> Eddie Patterson was was in the team that I broke into, along with Jim McFadden, and real some real legends, you know, of Clevenville. And um, Jimmy, Jimmy Mc, Jim McFadden, you know, he was one of the players that I looked up to because he played in the left wing, and, and Jimmy could beat three men. He was fast. He had a, he had a deadly, deadly left foot put great crosses into the ball into the box and, and, and scored just as many important goals. So he was probably kind of the one that I looked at in training when I was just coming through as a 16, 17-year-old that I would try and emulate and, and maybe tensely do what he could do. And that must have been a dressing room when you were breaking into that first team of, of really big characters. Oh, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, one of my first trips away was was with... Uh, um, I was in a, t- in, a, in, a, in a room with Billy Drake and Sean O'Kane, you know, and... and you know, you weren't allowed to have a beer before the game. It was a pre-season tour, and and I get they say, listen, we're sneaking out for a beer here, and I I was heart scared. There's no way I was <laughs> I was sneaking out. You know, I was I was in bed early and making sure I was right for the game the next day. And then two boys went out and probably scored two each the next day, whereas I was just breaking into the team. And uh, story was I I brought a camera with me on my first ever trip, and I was getting Peter Murray the team the the team was I was getting people to take photos of me while I was up and down the wing and. When I got the thing developed, it was Peter Murray and Jim McFadden taking photos of themselves in the dugout. You know, they never took any photos. So um, that's something that you probably didn't. You, I was naive back then, you know, when you were breaking into the team and these guys were all, all streetwise. Oh, that's uh, very funny. Seeing the the current crop of footballers get stick for their selfies and their Instagram posts, and there's Tim McCann with his old Kodak going, I was, here I'm down the wing, get a I picture. I was doing it back then, yeah. <laughs> Love that. Um, I think what everyone remembers about that Cliftonville team is the fact that they surpassed everyone's expectations and went on to win the league. I mean, uh, as achievements go in life, and I, I know it wasn't your only league title in your career, but it, it must have been a bit of a surprise that season that things were going so well to the point of, we're going to do this? I think the big, the biggest surprise was that the season before, Michael, we'd, we'd just about avoided relegation. Um, I was... We played on a game down and uh, it was away to yards and I was very fortunate to get on the end of a 93rd minute goal basically just to stop us from relegation and then Marty Quinn galvanised the team brought in a couple of extra players um, you had the likes of Barry O'Connor you had, um, from from Dublin you had Gary Slaney um, you had a leader in, in Mickey Donnelly you had Marty Tabb a young boy called Damien Davy that came into the team as a centre half who was absolutely out of this world. Uh, Jerry Flynn, you know, you know, young Jody Tolan coming through. Uh, I mean, Mark O'Neill as well. You could go down these players, and 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 this team of players galvanised in such a short space of time. And I think we lost the very first competitive game. It was in a cup earlier on, and I think it was a it was away to Chimney Corner, and we could beat one 0 and it was all ex Clevenville players that that beat us. And from then on, we never lost two games on the bounce. And we just went on. And I think as the season went on, we probably didn't believe it ourselves. We, we were just happy to play. And then, as we say, the, re- the, rest, was, the rest is history. Because it's one of those things that, we, you know, we, as time goes on and we look at, you know, Cliftonville's success in recent years and people talk about the quality of players, and that cannot be denied. And, and nor would I want to reduce that in any way. The fact that you were able to be a part of this team that won years avoiding relegation. I mean, we all talk about the Leicester City story. This yeah. is the Irish League equivalent to that way before, isn't it? Yeah, and you're and you're and you're talking about, you know, Linfield, Glen Torn teams, Glen Avon teams, Port of Down teams had really, really strong teams back then. Like very, very strong teams. Um and it was to, to go and do that, I think and it was the first it was the first league title in eighty eight years. It was massive. And the fact that we had to wait. Um, I think it was forty-five, an, an extra forty-five minutes that Linfield actually kicked off after, so they knew what they had to do. Um, again, probably only spurred us on, uh, and to do it in that kind of fashion, it was great that day. There was around seven thousand fans in the in the in the stadium, and they all stayed behind. Radio Ulster was on the background. <laughs> we were sitting and having the beer in the changing room, just waiting on the final whistle, and it was. I'll never forget it because we just we walked around the change room. We didn't know what to do. We could, we were listening to the. We didn't want to listen to it inside the, the change room, but you could hear it over the tannoy system outside and the moans and the groans and it was agony and and then all of a sudden we just heard the this almighty roar, and we just jumped up and down and went crazy. Because I, even 
I don't think we, we even realised even a year later, whatever, two years, three years, what we'd actually achieved of this small group of players who probably Michael didn't deserve to win the league. We not that we weren't good enough. These we were brought together and there was better teams, but we were we were better unit with such a camaraderie at that particular time and I think we caught teams by surprise. Was it more nerve wracking sitting there for those 45 minutes after the game than the 90 minutes of the actual match yeah it was yeah I mean again as I say there were 7,000 people we, we knew what we had to do we had to beat Glen Torn. if we beat Glen Torn, we won the league we created a few chances I think Glen Torn had maybe one chance in the game it was a corner and they scored from it we were 1-0 up through Harry McCourt by the way another massive massive player who contributed to us winning the league um, and you know we had a few other chances half chances Stevie Small um, put a couple of great balls in that day. Stevie Small was a fantastic player. Um, and Jody Tolan missed, I think he missed the post by an inch, you know. So uh, it just wasn't meant to be, but it's set up for a really, really grandstand finish. And that's probably what everybody remembers about it. Gosh, I just imagine and sitting there and, and it's out of your hands and that's the worst thing. It is the worst thing. And and it had been in our hands most of the season. So I think just probably for that day that we, we knew. So for 45 minutes, it was out of our hands. But... Um, on on that day, I think Wes Lamont had an unbelievable game, and Paddy McAllister, an ex-Clinton player, was playing for Korean that day, and they drew the leads with Linfield, and we won the league. Wow! Um, let's have a word for the manager. Marty Quinn was in charge. Marty Quinn, yeah. Uh, what a man! What a man! You were you were beaten down the door to get out of the changing rooms. Man management now it is is a massive, massive thing, and I think that's where Marty Quinn comes into his own. Um, he knew how to speak to players. Don't get me wrong, there was times that we were head-to-head head and arguing and fighting, but it worked. It worked. Whatever Marty did, it worked. And and it was no fluke that Marty went on and won an Irish Cup with, with Coleraine as well. An absolutely fantastic manager. Great, great guy. And we all had a beer together. You know, we y- y- you win together, you lose together, and that's the way it was at that particular time at Clevenville. It was fantastic times. So he knew when to pick a fight? He knew when to pick a fight. I remember him coming in the changing room one day. I think we were going to be 1-0. And he had a go at me and I, I jumped up. And um, <laughs> I think he had he had bad throat. And I was trying to get at him. And, you know, they were shouting and bawling. And he ended up going out in the second half. I think we won the game 2-1 and scored or whatever. And came back in and he just hugged me. And he says, it worked, didn't it? So, you know, then you, you kind of knew then. And, and that, was a, that was an upbringing that they get used to. You, there's certain players now and in the teams if you're coaching or managing you can't share that because they can't handle it back then that was just a part and parcel of football and you know you always hear about Alex Ferguson and the hairdryer and that's the way it was that's just the way that we were brought up yeah. and that's what you get used to see it's an interesting one that because and we'll come on to you know how management has changed and it really has had to change as, as society's changed as players have changed the game's obviously uh, moved on in ways as well but when you uh, look at it and when you sort of think about um, sometimes what went on in those changing rooms I think if you were outside the world of football you'd probably be, be aghast you know going, you can't grab a plate you can't yeah. scream in his face and yet I think all of us have been through that and to be honest I, I almost see it as normal I, I, I'm still sometimes surprised I'm very old school maybe in how I think but I'm still surprised sometimes when you hear players go oh don't don't shout at me well I took the same approach when I, when I first got the distillery job and I I I'd never obviously never managed before. I, I was first team coach under Scott Young at Glen Torn, and and at that time, as a coach, I'd have went in and, and if I had something to say, I would say it and shout and ball or whatever. Or, um, but as a manager, I, I still remember getting in the change room at half time and having a real rattle at one of the players. Not say who it is, but hmm. um, you know he was six foot, and um, I was having to go at him for trying to hold the ball up or whatever he was doing, and he just looked very sheepish. And I says, "What's wrong, man?" He says please don't shout at me. And I went, right, okay. Yeah. So I had, to, I had to kind of take that on board kind of straight away and then look around and, and, and sort of try and figure out then who was, which players had strong characters, which players didn't, which players needed the arm around the shoulder, which players responded to a kick up the backside. And and now and as a manager, you have to kind of do that. See, it's interesting. I just wonder were there those characters in the, the dressing rooms you played in too, but maybe it was a harder time to express it? Yeah. 
you know, because uh, I would imagine at that time, with, with the greatest respect, everybody, if one of your teammates stood up and went, don't really like being, no. don't really like it, Marty, when you talk, tell me off, well, they'd probably all look at him and go, what's but, wrong with but you? But the, the thing as well too, Michael, it wasn't just, it wasn't just the, the, the coaching staff or the manager, it was the senior players as well. You know, I was in changing rooms at Glen Torn where they were, you know, where they were nearly pulling ahead of each other because we expected and demanded, you know, a certain level of performance and and I think that's what's kind of missing now. You want leaders on the pitch as well where if you're standing on the sidelines that these players can go and do that themselves. You know, they, they, they can run the game themselves. They don't always need to come from the sideline. That's why you need leaders, you need senior players and, and potentially that's sometimes I think that's maybe what's lacking out of today's modern game. What did your family make when you decided to make the move to Glen Torren? Uh, Roy Coyle gives you an offer you cannot refuse. Uh, were, your, were your family kind of going, Tim, come on, Cliftonville, it's, it's the, the club you supported, or were they right behind you? Um, they, they were right behind me. The, the, I mean, the, it, it was when I got the offer, or the Glen Torren were interested, I was obviously flattered. And I obviously got, I got a bit of stick with the, the Cliftonville fans at the time, but obviously everyone doesn't know what went on in the background and you know the, the, the team had changed since we won the league and uh, things weren't going swimmingly that season the, the season after we won the league and I went round and spoke to every senior player Mickey Donnelly Marty Tab, every Stevie Small Jerry Fl I spoke to every single player and they all advised me now's the time to go and if they had that opportunity they were mad so that kind of made me feel at ease maybe if they had pu pushed me and said listen Tim you know just stay or whatever. I, I, I might have stayed, um, but to get the to get that move was incredible. I, I met Roy Coyle in his office. I went with my father. And what age were you then, roughly? I was twenty-seven, and it, he sold me Glen Torn. You know, he he did, and and still probably as uh, twenty-seven. I was probably still a. I know it sounds experienced and I'd won a league title, but with regards to kind of knowing what kind of other potential I had or what other aspects I had in my game rather than just getting the head sticking a run down the wing across the ball and that had done my whole career Roy Coyle had kind of even just said in the first meeting you know this is where I see you playing and this is what I see you doing and you know money wasn't discussed at that time it was just about what where he seen me playing for Glen Torn and that, that impressed me I also think, and I don't mean this in a bad way, um, but when it comes to Cliftonville, there's a bubble. Because I think Cliftonville, the way the Cliftonville family is, they're, they really look after their own, and it's so, this is how we do things, and it's ingrained so early from talking to different players that kind of, once you leave that, you kind of go, oh, there, there's other clubs, there's other ways. Yeah, there, there was, there was other, other ways, and as you say, it, it, it was great, and I'm glad, you know, it was the best decision I ever made um, to move to, to Glen Torn because... I won so many trophies aren't successful I believe it made me a better player it happened just at the right time I was coming into kind of a peak part of my career and you know I think I signed on the Friday and played against Linfield you know you know, in the big two derby 13,000 people or whatever it was at the Oval at that time and making my debut there um, was it was surreal it really was to come into that other kind of as you say out of, the, out of one bubble and kind of into another mm -hmm. and I have to say you know, going to events or being around East Belfast at that time and being a, a Catholic from North Belfast, um, treated like absolute royalty. Um, really, really looked after. The Glen Torn fans were 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 absolutely fantastic with me and in every shape or form, whether me and my wife were going down awards do it was you know, make sure he gets in a taxi, he's home safe or whatever. It was just it was it was phenomenal and I still have that rapport with the Glen Torn fans to this day because they were they were exceptional to me. And, you know, Glenn Torrin going through a rough patch now. Maybe I'll get your opinion on that shortly. But at, at that time, challenging for things, winning lots of stuff. I mean, that must have been, uh, in some ways, a culture shock to you where you really had to fight and claw for an opportunity at Cliftonville to get near silverware. And you, you got to the top of the mountain, but the season after proved it's very hard to stay up there. Whereas at Glenn Torrin, the, the expectation levels are different. Yeah, so I was, I'm walking out of one team, I haven't just won the league, and then walking into another team, you know, with the likes of John Devine and uh, you had Elliot, um, Stuart Elliott and Andy Kirk and Paul Lehman and, and uh, you know, th those kind of boys coming through, Stevie Livingston and um, and then winning the league again, you know, winning two leagues back to back, you know, at that time with two different clubs was, 
wasn't was phenomenal and it, it was a gave us a great kind of boost uh, and then you know I built up a really good relationship with Colin Nixon down the right hand side and I spent honestly many many's a year there with Glen Torn and, and I look back on it with fond memories and and even look back then as you said but there was an expectation to win but in the season of 2002-2003 not only was it an expectation to win it was you were going out and you were winning and you were going out well we're going to win but how many are we going to win by and that was like Michael Neal was centre midfield that year he was phenomenal absolutely phenomenal uh, to play alongside we absolutely blew every team out of the water um, and, and nearly did the clean sweep um, we'd won the league with five games to go uh, we'd won the league we'd won the league cup we'd won the County Anthem Shield and going to make history and probably hurts now looking back on it that we didn't go to do that because you would have been down in history albeit you still will as a, as a, as a team that, that won three trophies that year but to do the clean sweep would have been would have been unbelievable what do you think was there a contributing factor as to why you fell short yeah I think the fact that we'd won the league five weeks early um, and that's I'm not saying this and we were a better team than Korean we we were uh, at that particular time well you won the league <clears throat> when we so. won the league yeah uh, but um, Marty Quinn was in charge we knew it was going to be difficult and the gaffer arrested us Roy Coyle probably for three or four weeks um, and there was a bit of let's just say there was a bit of a party atmosphere as well um, and I think it was a it was a miserable day where normally Irish Cup final days are sunny and it was, it was a real miserable day the rain was out the weather wasn't good and Korean got an early goal I think through Jody Tolan and I think we really camped in their half for, for, for the majority of the game I, I I missed two chances I hit the pole, or the bar twice um, and I just think it wasn't meant to be on that particular day you know if I'm being honest with you, Korean probably deserved it. They fought like lions, and after the game, I was I was happy with Marty Quinn. I just won you know league title the week before. I lifted a league trophy the week before, so I was happy for for Glenn or for Marty Quinn at that time. Do you sometimes, as a player, then get that mentality? You know, you arrive. It's a horrible <laughs> old day. You look across Marty Quinn. You go, oh, if anyone's going to do me, it's Marty Quinn. And you hit the crossbar. Does it start to play in your mind as the ball comes to you? Going, it doesn't almost matter what I'm going to do. It feels like this is already written. Yeah, because we we we, we controlled the game with with lots of chances, and normally those were getting in. I mean, Andy Smith was playing that that season. I think he'd scored 35 goals or whatever it was, and it was everyone was thinking it was just a matter of us turning up, and and maybe there was a a bit of mentality of that I think Corian getting the early goal kind of we sort of always went hold on a wee minute this isn't in the script and we then kind of stepped it up I think I hit the hit the post from about maybe inside the box uh, and then my last one um, I remember going by Jerry Flynn and, and the ball just bouncing for me and I volleyed it from about 30 yards and the wind caught it and I was just waiting for it to hit the back of the net and all of a sudden just at the last minute it just lifted and clipped the top of the bar and went over and I thought I think that's it I can see that even to this day you can still picture that you can still you're right behind that shot still I, I, it, was, it was right in the in the cop end I can see it as clear as day and I remember striking the ball and I couldn't, couldn't have struck it any sweeter there was a strong wind and I just fell to my knees I remember falling to my knees straight after it and there might have been only about 7 or 8 minutes left at that time and fell to my knees and went, that was, that was the chance. Because I think if we had to go back to one each, we would have won the game. What was Roy Coyle like as a manager? Because it's an incredible. I mean, it's, what was it, a year or two ago? He was back in the dugout for a little while yeah. again. You cannot take football out of that man, no way. No, he, he was he was phenomenal. Um, you hear a lot of ex-players, you know, maybe saying they didn't like him or whatever, but I'll tell you what, they respected him. Um, were you scared of him? Potentially, you, you did look at him that way because he was such a, a big figure at that time. When when he said jump, you said how high. And training was a hundred miles an hour. You didn't want to be on the treatment table. If he seen you on the treatment table, we used to wire the physio off to come in an hour early. <laughs> and if he seen you on the, what are you doing on the treatment table? So nothing, Gaffer. I'm just uh, getting a strap or a rubber, and, and you would run out. At that time, and again, we're going back to modern players as well. You were taking injections to, just to play. You know, now you hear players that can't play, they have a sore calf or they have a sore toe or 
you know, my heels sore, you know. And it's, it, it was a different mentality then because you, you knew if you were out of, going out of the team, it was going to be very, very hard to get back in because the team was always winning. Yeah. So there was that kind of competitiveness even in training, players kicking lumps out of each other. And that's what he wanted to see. He, he was very, very shrewd, very, very smart uh, and really sort of alluded me then to, you know, there was other kind of stages of play and where my position should be and with um, Nicky overlapping and where maybe the next position should be cutting inside, you know, and potentially played me up front a couple of times. So kind of varied my game a little bit. What was that atmosphere like? Obviously winning is, is brilliant, but it's competitive too. There's players that can't be in the starting 11 that want to be in the starting 11. You're kicking lumps out of each other in training. Was it was it friendly like Cliftonville was friendly or was it did it feel more like work at times, if you understand me, because you've got a job to do and there's always someone trying to take your your place? It never felt like work at all. Honestly, it, it never did. I used to love going to training, whether it was, I'm, I was always, I, I was always the first to train and no matter where I played, I just loved being there. Me and Gary Smith used to arrive and Paul Eamon and Colin Nixon, we used to arrive early so we could actually play hitters and volleys in the net and <laughs> whatever, just, just to have a bit of crack and kick the ball about the pitch and, and whatever. No, it, it, it was never a chore. It was, get the, the training sessions were always varied and you were always going for something, you know, you were always going to win a title or you were always going to win an Irish Cup or you were always involved in big games and and different things and as I say that there was always big crowds at Glentorn at, at, in those days and it was just I remember coming close to when I knew that I couldn't play on forever and I remember walking I used to go out in the pitch and, and walk around and look at the stadium and, and try and sort of soak it in and going knowing that I wasn't going to be there and I think that was when I went back uh, in my later in my later stage because uh, as you were sort of coming to the end of your spell at Glentorn for the first time you were suffering through injuries, cruciate injuries, and it was just it felt probably at that point like your your body was conspiring against you. Yeah, we'd, we'd just won the, the Irish Cup in 2004. We'd beaten Korean, who'd beaten us the year previous. And I'd, I think I played nearly every game that season, played in the Irish Cup final. And so I turned up the pre-season as normal. Uh, Jimmy Brown was there, I got my number seven training gear and started to hear little rumours that, well, Gary Smith had, had, that Gary Smith had left and I started hearing rumours that I was next, but Rory Coy was on a cruise at the time. Where are you hearing the rumours from? Sorry, just is it is it fans going, yeah, Timmy, away are you? Or is it players? Or where? Yeah, I started. I got a phone call from a newspaper saying, are you away from Glen Torn? And I was going, no, what with me? So I approached, I approached the, the chairman at that time, and I asked him, and he said, listen, it's not my place. So I knew then. That's not a good uh, sign, so I it? asked for a meeting with, with, with Roy Coyle and we met in the Park Avenue as soon as he finished his cruise and he busy sat me down and I was 32 years of age and says look I think it's time for you to leave it's six months six months left my contract he says look I think I don't think you can get up and down as you used to before and, and I, I never argued um, not even I, know I, I, disag- no, I, I disagreed with him and said I think you're wrong I'd love to. I, honest to God, wish I was a waiter. Or, or a I honestly in the didn't. It didn't because he, he didn't. You respected him too much to raise your voice to him, uh, or, to, or to have him? a pop at him. You were saying, "I just respect him." Right, Mike Kelby. I, well, I basically told him in no uncertain terms that I, I disagreed with his decision and that he was totally wrong. Um, I'd played every, nearly every game, nearly every season, and you know, we just won the, you know, the cup. How did, how did he see this? He says, "Look, you've six months left of your contract. You can leave now, or you can sit in the stand." So I went home and and discussed it with my family, and uh, agreed to agreed to leave. And I took myself off to Toronto the very next day. Uh, myself and my wife and uh, was doing. I uh, was speaking to Kenny Shields, who was the Balamina manager at the time, and. Gary Smith was there, Roy Hamill was there, Josh McBride was there, Jamie Marks was there, Gareth Skates was there, really, really good side, and uh, ended up joining Ballymena and had a real, when I was assigned a two-year contract, but you bring up the cruciate, I, I joined in, I think it was June, and did my, did my first cruciate in, in December, on December the 4th of that season, um, which was very, very frustrating. Nightmare stuff. I hope you weren't following them from Toronto. Did they know that? <laughs> <laughs> Tim, you, what's this wee dialing tone I'm getting here? Never you were All a the sign of me. <laughs> they, they were that. They were actually in pre-season, and I was I was in Toronto, um, and then uh, I did. 
eight and a half months of rehab. Tommy Wright ended up eventually taking over the team. I'd done my eight and a half months of rehab, and on the Thursday night, I was meant to come, make my comeback game on the Saturday, and did my cruciate again in training. And I remember punching the ground and, and going crazy because I knew exactly what it was. It was the exact same knee, it was the exact same thing, the exact same feeling. I know there was no one near me any of the times I'd done it, I, I, I just whatever way I'd landed or twisted yeah. it. And I thought to myself, because oh, I, knew, I knew what lay ahead, I knew the road that I'd been on, and I knew how tough it was. And I knew what age it was. So, uh, anyway, Tommy Wright had, had, had said, look, maybe it's better to, to call it a day. I don't think, you know, you're going to play at this level again. And I fell out with Tommy at the time because I didn't agree with him. And and that was, that gave me the impetus to, to kind of, well, do you know what, I'm going to show him. I, were, I talked to him now. I, was, I hadn't spoke to I never spoke to him for a while after that, but I... Uh, I got myself at the determination to get myself. I was going to say, "Well, I'm going to show these people that I'm not done." Because I think it's fair to say, Tim, that it's it was probably outside of football also the worst time in your life. Yeah, um, I my wife got pregnant with her with our our first our first child, and he um, he he died at birth. Um, lived for about two months. His name was was Tim Oak. Um, and it's it's even hard talking about it now. Um, I went went off the rails for a bit. Went on the was drinking quite a lot. Um, it was really really tough tough time. But only that our family stuck behind us and got through us. And um, Paul Miller said, "Listen, why don't you come on down to um, Glen Torn? He he became manager and says, "Look, do your rehab down here. See how you get on." And we'll just take it one step at a time. So I went down and and uh, got myself fit, played a few games for the reserves, and then when they says, "Look, let's get you on a contract, let's get you signed up," and busy will go as pay as you play or whatever, and I, which I was more than happy to do. You know, just to just to be able to get a chance to pull that jersey back on again was was something I never thought I'd have the chance to do. And ended up playing that season, or the the remainder of that season, in and out of the team, and then Alan McDonald took over, and Alan McDonald gave me another year's contract, and and I played played there, and it was it was unbelievable to be playing and run down the wing at 36, 37 years of age, uh, and then it was nearly identical around the same time of the year again. We were away to we were away to Glen Glenavon, and Gary Hamilton was playing in the team as well, and. I chested the ball, but kind of miscontrolled it because uh, I remember I can see it right now, I, I, and I went to stretch for it. There was again, there was nobody around me, <laughs> and my other leg went, oh. and it wasn't the one I'd done the cruciate on. And I, again, I knew straight away, and I punched the ground, and, and Gary Hamilton came over, and because I just kept punching and punching and punching the ground, and Hamilton was going, "Come on, it'll be all right, be all right," and uh, got a stretcher off, and I knew that was it. I knew I was done. I was, I knew one hundred percent that was done. So much to, to try and take in there. Um, you must be so proud that you were able to get yourself back in the position to play because um, I think I think we know each other well enough for me to say you you can be stubborn. Yeah. And to be told by a manager you respected, a manager who you'd won stuff for, a manager who you, you trusted, all of a sudden it's, look, here here it is, almost the cold shoulder out of nowhere. And yeah. You're, you're trying to process that. You get your move. It doesn't quite work out because of injuries. Personal life, God, where do you even begin? And to not have football at that time, um, it must have been amazing. Finally, somehow to get back on the pitch and, and just start playing. It was it was incredible, and I remember coming on in a pre-season friendly for the very very first time. It was at Brantwood, and I come on with about fifteen minutes to go. Paul Miller put me on, and by the way, I, I can never thank Paul Miller enough for for what he did because. I wouldn't have been back only only it was for him taking a taking a gamble on me at that time. And I, I ended up Chris Morgan was playing up front and I come on to the pitch and the, the fans were were going nuts and it, it was just a, it was it was a it was an incredible feeling just to be able to come on to the pitch at that time and, and to actually, as I said, pull that jersey and go on again and play. Um but it, it, it was it was phenomenal. It was it was the only thing that was kinda of keeping me going at, at that particular time. And and then when I get hurt for the third time, 
you know, Alan McDonald says, look, Tim, I want you to stay around the place. It was around about Christmas time. He says, I want you to stay around the place. I want you to, to be involved. And then got me involved with the, with managing the reserve team. And I did that for a couple of years. And then Alan left and, and Scott Young took over. And I got a phone call and says, look, they've asked me to be manager. Would you be interested in coming in as my first team coach? And I said, absolutely. Um, it's not something you need to think about. And went in under Scott on the first team coach and had two, two and a half amazing years there. Uh, and it was, as I say, it was fantastic. What a career. And I think through everything you've said there, what, what to me stands out is the, the relationships. You know, every one of those clubs, there were, there were people, there were memories. But whatever was going on, there was always someone to pull somebody else up. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that was always the thing. Whether it was you know my friend sticking beside me, whether it was you know, Carl Nixon or Lehman or, or or Gary Smith or Scott Young or whoever it was, you'd always these kind of guys. Whether it was Marty Quinn picking up the phone to you, Alan McDonald was was absolutely fantastic with me. You know, God rest his soul, he was he was incredible. Um, such such a nice gentleman. Um, and to have those kind of people and my family around me at that time. As you say, it was it was it was the thing that was keeping you going, um, and you see a lot of, you know, footballers coming out now and about this mental health kind of thing. There was nothing back then, you know. It was, you know, you couldn't seem to be weak back then because you're you're meant to be, you know, a footballer, and these footballers are meant to be hard men and meant to be, you know, you, you know, you can't cry, you can't do anything, but, you know, you just, you just, I just kind of try to blank everything out and, 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 and just get on with it and as I say with those amount of people around me at that time it worked and it got me back involved with football and as I say to this day I, I can't thank those people enough So many highlights um, you know and we think we've covered a few of them there um, wh- what would you say is your your defining moment in football what's the, what's the one thing that sometimes you sit and go back to and go what a day that was Irish Cup Final 2000 against Portadown just like that. Just like that. Uh, I'd never won an Irish Cup. Um, it, was, it was a roasting, roasting dam. It had these big, long, baggy, <laughs> white um, Glen Torn shirts on that just really, there was no sponsorship on it, just said Glen Torn across the front. Really smashing jersey, but it was just baggy, it was heavy. It was a really, really hot day. And uh, really good, strong Porter Down team, Vinnie Arkins, you know, Brian Strain, um, and just Rory Hamill clipped the ball over the top and I was up against Keith O'Hara at that time he was just coming through fantastic fullback and I got bam and I just remember seeing Ian Gilzina just come on the pitch and I just remember seeing making the run in the box and I never even took a touch I just remember the ball rolling I just remember just putting it lucky enough right on the money and Gilzina brave as ever diving header into the top corner and we won the Irish Cup and the scenes after that and even watching the, the match back you know, even seeing it, even to this day, it was gives me goose pimples just watching it. And there's you going back to the old, get the head down, <laughs> run the line, get the cross in. And sometimes the simplest simplest things are, when, but when you have a centre forward like that, you know, um, like Ian Gilzine, uh, or whoever you played with back in the day, you mean, those kind of things worked back then. And, uh, and I think you see a lot of, even in the Premier League now, you see boys getting down and they can't beat the first man and, you're going, my God, if we, 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 we'd have done that back in the day. I mean, what the off? You wouldn't have been allowed on the pitch. Right, Coyle, you say, no, it is, son, get off the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, your job was to was to put quality crosses in the box. So whether you stayed behind training and, and, and practiced about just whipping balls in the box, different angles, you know, running with it or whatever, that's what you did just to make sure that you got the ball in the box. And and I guess when you played on a team for long enough, they got to know whereabouts the ball was going to go. And just very quickly on this one, I, I, I've told the story before, but you're in the room this time, so it makes it a bit different. We played a charity match at Solitude a wee while ago um, for uh, Max. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> what, I, what I was telling people is, you know, I was thinking, OK, I, at least I have youth on my side here. I'll be all right. You get the ball into your feet, first touch under control. 
I come to I'm I thought I, there's a wee bit of room there I can just poke it away from you and get it off you. Your second touch puts it through my legs and you're around me, <laughs> and you're so used to it you don't even remember it. But I just remember going, oh for God's sake! And I did that's that was the I think the first thing that happened to me that day. Uh, as well. I, was, I was probably carrying a wee bit of timber then too, yeah, as well as I as I am now. Um, no, it, it, that was a good day by the way as well. It, it was fantastic. But these things, what what what's happening nowadays? Even if you're doing charity games. You're still thinking as a player, like even if I join in and train in Nas Lauren, if they're man down and I get slagged because I always look to make sure there's an odd number, if there's an odd number I know I'm able to get in. <laughs> um, your head's doing one thing now and your legs just aren't quite doing it. You have it up here, yeah. but down at your feet, it's just that little... Now, if you have time and you have space and whatever, you can do whatever you want, but when, when you need to move the ball quickly or you need to run, just you can run, but you can't get back. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that, there's that natural ability, but there's that quicker connection between your brain and your feet when you're really on it, which uh, some of us sadly will never have. <laughs> my brain's going, there is a ball, I can kick that, and by the time my foot's decided to move to it, you're already <laughs> past me. I went, all right, cheers, Tim. Um, let, let's talk about, Lauren, shall we? Um, you know, we, people talk about revolutions and stuff all the time, but my goodness... Uh, Big investor, big dreams, and uh, so far they seem to be delivering every front that they've offered or promised. Leagues one and all, uh, Premiership next season, and I'm sure you're already casting your mind on some players to bring in. What's the last year or so been like for you? Well, it's been crazy. I mean, you probably have to go back 18 months when when we first started. Seamus and Tiernan were already in before I was. They they took this on when there was no Kenny Bruce. And they went in and were trying to build a team back then of, of really younger guys and they were getting beat maybe three and four and five every week. Um, I think I came in, it was 2017, around about August of 2017. And some of the players we, we have now, I don't think there's any of them left, but uh, it was tough. To, it was really tough. I mean, at one stage we were languishing, languishing six points adrift at the bottom of of championship and you know we needed to get out of that position for this investor to to happen Tiernan met with Kenny and Tiernan put his plans and his ideas Kenny bought into Tiernan and his ideas and anything that Kenny has promised and he's a fantastic fantastic man everybody just sees Kenny the money he's a fantastic man he's a big family man um, you know this town has been galvanised in the last year of you know, even going back to the Irish Cup quarterfinal of, of the previous season, beating Ballymena up there, playing Coleraine in the semi-final. It was just phenomenal. And the, and, and, and the, the, the important thing was, was to take the town with us. It wasn't us in the town. It, now it's become, the whole place is, is just galvanised. You're getting 1,500 people at a game. It, it's crazy to think of. And it, it's just phenomenal what, what's been achieved. And Tiernan's a very, very smart manager, very good coach, as is Seamus. And training is planned strategically. Players are brought in strategically. There's an ethos at the club, which we believe every player should buy into. And we're trying to do things right. We believe that we are at this minute in time, but it's going to be very, very tough next year. And we're under no illusions that's go- that it's going to be tough. But... You know, I'm glad that people got to see us in the in the quarterfinal against Coleraine this year about, you know, what we could do and, and how we showcased, you know, the style of football that we like to play. The thing is, and I'm, I'm sure it probably annoys everybody because because of the money aspect of it, because there's been an investment, that's the thing that everyone brings up, don't they? And they yeah. sort of go, oh, use the money, boys. We're going to raise our game to play you because you've got all the yeah. money, you've all the... And you, you probably hear numbers bandied about... <clears throat> some people were saying you're paying above what the Premiership clubs are paying. Uh, uh, it's it's crazy, you know, and you get you get all these rumours. I mean, someone said to me last year we were apparently we were, we were going to send Gareth McCauley and we were going to ban for two hundred seventy five thousand pound. I heard that one. You know, it, it, it's just crazy stuff. No one sees what goes on in the background, and and I think anybody will tell you even in the championship we haven't went about acting, you know, being cocky or. Or, or being, oh, look at us, we're Lauren, we have money. Not in the slightest have we done that. And I think if you ask any of the clubs that we've played against, you know, we we tied up our own change rooms afterwards if we play away from home. Um, every, every the, the work rate that the players do off the pitch and on the pitch and going to visit schools and special needs schools. And it's a real, real good camaraderie at this club and we're trying to do things right and we're trying to do things the right way. And, and that was always Tiernan's vision. His vision was always full-time football. And 
as I say, you can go out and you can have all the money in the world, but you need to bring in the right kind of players. And those kind of right players, they can't be mercenaries. They have to buy into what you're delivering. And right now, all of these players were handpicked for a particular reason and a particular position. And right now, they're all living up to their expectations and delivering what Tiernan has asked them. On the mercenary front, um, look, we see it in the, the, the Premier League and the, the clubs with money. And having money does not equal success. You have to invest money wisely, and that's sometimes not said enough. Particularly here, you, you wonder, because it's, it's no new thing. Players go, what's he on? I want that too. Yeah. And that, that was happening when you were signing contracts, Tim. It you know? was. You were, hearing, you were hearing players were always adding about three or four hundred pounds on to what they were getting. You know, oh, I'm getting this. They're trying to make themselves look good. And then when you went and asked for that or whatever, people they were asked offer, or you were being offered half that, you were going, why am I only being offered half of what he is? But rumours fly about. Players talk. And, and you'll never, never change that. Um, you'll always get rumours started by one person who then hears someone else saying it. And, you know, I, I can assure you, it, it's not like that at Lauren. Um, you know, Kenny wants to know where his money's going and where it's being spent, and is, is it being spent wisely? And you know, there's not a, a pound spent that Kenny doesn't know about or or is, con, or is consulted with first. Uh, and as I say, Tiernan and, and Kenny and have have the club in a really really good position at this minute in time, and everyone is looking forward to next season. With a family fun day this 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 week, we're home to uh, the Welders, where the you know the fans can meet the players and get their picture taken with the trophy and all that kind of stuff. So, it, it's it's a real, it's a real buzz around the town. Um, you used to see fans in Larne when the team wasn't going so well, run about with Limfield and Crusaders tops and Glen Torn tops. Neither all were in Larne tops, and the influx into the academy as well of, of people that kids wanting to play football now is, is fantastic. It shows you what can be done and when there's the good results going along with it, it, it I guess it's easier to bring the, the crowd along with you. Next season's going to be such a, an amazing challenge. Um, who knows if you'll get time to enjoy it because it's such hard work. It is such hard work and we know it's, you know what the league's like. It's it's relentless. I mean, you know, and as I said, even, even this year's Premier League, you know, even Linfield or Crusaders, there's no gimmies. There really isn't. You know, you're you're going to play, if you're going to play with no disrespect, the bottom six teams, Newry, Warren Point, um, Ards, these teams will take points off you. If you're not 100% in your game, or you go into a game thinking, oh, we should beat these ones, it doesn't work like that, and it certainly won't next season, because there's a better quality, I believe, in the Premier League than there has been for years, and it's going to be a really, really tough season, and anybody that gets into that top, top six will have to earn it. Is top six your target? What's your target? We don't really have any targets. We we, we want to go in and basically see where we are. We want to go in and give a good account of ourselves and, and play the style of football that, that we'll have, Michael, and, and try and make some, some kind of impact. It would be foolish of us to say that we're going to target because we haven't been there. You know, we, we don't know. I mean, obviously, we've played at certain Premier League teams last season. In cup competitions, we could beat by Crusaders, I think, in the... In, in, I think it was the County Adams Shield semi-final. They, they beat us, obviously... Korean beat us um, we beat Ards and we beat Newry so you know two wins and two losses actually we could beat by Glen Torn as well <laughs> sorry in the in the League Cup uh, went the extra time so we, we know where we need to be as a team and we're under no illusions that there's a queer difference in class and tempo between the Championship and the Premier League Is it fair to say there's going to be a handful of signings this summer? I, I, I think it would be, would, would be foolish not to to strengthen our, our squad as well every other team if we didn't strengthen our squad and rested on our laurels you're only going to you're going to get caught out you have to strengthen for, for starters there's going to be seven subs you know so you need you need to keep a big squad as you say the games come thick and fast there's going to be more suspensions there's going to be more injuries you really need to have a squad of about 20-22 players to be able to compete in this league and, and hopefully we can do that One thing we can definitely say is that Lauren do the best pre-seasons Oh, we do, we do, we do a good pre-season now. You know, we're also not bad at singing either, Michael. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, there there might be a bit on this. Uh, it's not a holiday. I have to. I'm, it's not a holiday. It's a pre-season tour too. Can you give away where you're going next season for your uh, for your little summer getaway? Oh, the, just the, the summer getaway. We're going to we're going to Marbella just for for a, just an end of season trip with with the players just for a couple of days. Um, I think that they they deserve it. They've earned it. 
Um, we went away in the summer, which seems a, a, a lifetime ago for a pre-season uh, training camp. And, and that was hard work, Michael. It was three sessions a day. See, because there, there was me thinking you're off on the beach. Because, I mean, this is, just to put it into perspective for people that don't know, it's not, uh, you're, you're not doing your all your summer training necessarily in Larn. You, you do get on a plane. Yeah, no, we, we'll do what we need to do on the pitch. Um, and we'll, 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 we'll do strength and conditioning and we'll do all our running. But um, lucky enough, we're in a position, you know, as we were last year, to, to go away to Andorra um, for the guts of six days and, and do a training camp. Um, and and try and build a, a camaraderie with the players that had just come in, and and they also get them used to the, that full time football which they they had just transpired into, and it was it was the best thing we could ever have done, and obviously we'll be trying to look to do something like that next or in the in the forthcoming preseason as well to try and pick somewhere that we can go away for a week, and and lucky enough we're able to do that, um, and and to get that experience, the players any new players that come in will have that bond. And as I say, it it, it it can only help you. That'll be an enviable position. You know, other clubs going, wish we could do that. But as you say, it's about getting the right people. It's not just someone that wants a holiday. You're trying to say no. It it it, it it's and it, it's players that'll be. You know, you're not a kid in the sweet shop. You're not just going out to buy anything. You're you're going out to try and pick. And I think that's very important. I think it's going to be important for every club to try and go out and 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 bring a player in, and look at it. Well, is he going to? better your team Michael that's the first question you got to ask if you're bringing a player in is he going to strengthen the team and if the answer is yes then it's a no brainer it's a it's an exciting time for Lauren fans there's no doubt um, b- before we come to the end of this I just want to ask you about your old teammates uh, Gary Smith and Paul Lehman because obviously you enjoyed your time playing with them Glentoran fans don't really know what's going on with them at the moment I think it's fair to say you know they were they were in charge of the club then they were all of a sudden told they weren't in charge of the club Um are they still at the club? Are they not at the club? Is there uh, again? I don't know. I know that they're not a training, and and I know that they're not in a dugout. Um, as I say, it, it it's not nice what is what has happened to them. It's very very unfortunate. Um, I think there needs to be a bit of clarity there between the club and and the players. Um, and unfortunately, as I say, they're two guys that they give up what they were doing to come in, and obviously we were made promises at that time. I understand new people coming in, everything changes, and you know if it's going to benefit Glen Torn, then, then then brilliant, well and good. Um, but I just think the other side of it is that you know let's make sure that the other two guys are, are looked after first, and, and make sure that, that they're okay because I think they're a bit disgruntled at the minute. Could for Glen Torn fans that must be one thing, and, and for you as a as a former teammate, it must be disappointing that there's this uncertainty at the moment there is um, in one hand it's great to see the investment coming in and it, it, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody wants a strong Glentorn team we all want to see a strong Glentorn team and me obviously as an ex-player I want to see Glentorn doing very very well but when you see this other side of it it just gives you a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth and, and as I say unfortunately I don't think it's been handled my own, own opinion I don't think it's been handled very very well at this minute in time and and, and I've been speaking to a few supporters and they've been voicing their kind of opinions as well as much as they're excited by the whole new investment and, and what these guys are doing coming in and trying to make the team and bring them to a better place you know let's let's make sure that our ex-players and players that have given everything by the way for that jersey are, are treated right Here, here. Um you're a man that wears your heart on your sleeve uh, I think it's fair to say yeah. a p- passionate guy um, but also just as passionate about your karaoke you said there's some good singers in there right I just want to go back to these different dressing rooms right where do you rank Who, who's who's top of the pops and who's sort of the, the bottom of the class when it comes to the old karaoke because I've, I've seen you grab the microphone more than once well it's either a microphone or a bottle of beer just pretend <laughs> to sing into it you know we, we had a few 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 singers back in the day in the Clevenville days um, Mickey Donnelly had a very deep voice he wasn't the best he he, he sounded like a goose farting in the fog <laughs> <laughs> um, he wasn't he wasn't the best Jerry Flynn wasn't a bad chanter now back yeah. in the day um, maybe Stevie could hold the tune Stevie Small but he um, he uh, didn't maybe like to let himself go as much as much as I did I probably sang more than anyone um, in today's ones um, you have Tommy Stewart we, we recently did a record we did a we recorded something for um, a local school up there a special needs school that 
uh, to try and raise money for it, and it was it was fantastic. Um, a guy called Hammy who runs the music art up there did a did a fantastic job on it. It's obviously a, our own version of um, Sweet Caroline, and it's called Sweet Lauren FC, and it was absolutely unbelievable. So I had obviously I had to sing the first verse or chorus or whatever it was, and and they were saying to me, people were saying to me. Where did you get the American accent from? And I said, "That's just the way I sing." You know, I said, "If you think that's bad, you want to hear me be a few beers on me." <laughs> I'm saying nothing. You saying nothing. <laughs> saying well, you heard me up at the BBC dinner. Uh, I think I did a few Beatles melodies that night. Yes, and I played Taxi afterwards as well. There was a bit of singing <laughs> was, was in the singing car. Singing the Taxi was it? Oh no! <laughs> singing in the car on the way back as well. Uh, brilliant times, Tim. Honestly, thanks so much for coming in. It's been it's been great crack, and uh, I will. You know, as I say, hurting your sleep. But one thing I think, I don't know if, because I know you, you will say exactly how you feel, what you think's right by your mates, what you think's right by yourself. And I think it's such a great quality to have. And I was so glad to do this today because you don't have to guess what Tim McCann's thinking. And I, I wish more people were like it. And sometimes it, 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 it potentially, it doesn't get you. People don't appreciate how you how you say things, but I don't believe in, in going behind people's backs. I believe in saying how things are, and yes, sometimes that people don't agree with that. But I I believe in in, in honesty. I believe in loyalty, and you know, I just wish there was more of that. Uh, I think it's gone out of the game a little bit, and I'm not talking about players moving from club to club. I just mean genuine. If you if you're a friend of someone, you don't betray them. If you're if you, if, if you give someone your word, stick to it. If you see something that, that you don't think is right and that's happening, voice your opinion and, and, and I'll, I'll always do that. I'll always try and stick up for people that have done right by me and if I see them being mistreated, then then I'll give my opinion and as you say, sometimes it's people don't like what the, what they hear but maybe sometimes people don't like to hear the truth and sometimes the truth hurts Michael and unfortunately that's not nice but it's just the way life is and that's just the way I'll never change. A lovely note to finish the interview on here on The Score. The honest man, Tim McCann. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Score NI podcast with me, Michael Clark. We're back live with the whole show on Lisburn's 98FM and Bangor FM on Friday from 1pm. Or you can subscribe to our podcast today to listen back to the first hour each week at your convenience. And in the meantime, keep in touch via our Facebook and Twitter feeds. We hope you can join us for the next episode.